Father, we just come to you this evening once again for the hearing of the word. Because it's in the hearing of the word that faith comes. It's in the hearing of the word that we receive more of your spirit. And the works of the spirit is displayed in our lives. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us continuously. Let that one voice never cease in our lives. Even if every other voice is stayed, is stilled, let your voice alone never cease, Lord. Because you alone have the words of life. Speak, Father. Speak, Father. Breathe upon us once more, Lord, as you breathe upon your disciples 2,000 years ago. We need not less but more of your Spirit at a time and an hour like this. That we may stand strong in the midst of this plague, and your people may stand strong wherever they are. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we'll continue on things, meditating in this time that God so mercifully has given us. Yes, it's a time of tragedy and fear, yet it is a time of mercy. Because our God's nature never changes. He's a merciful God. And in this time of mercy, we will look to the things that really matter to, to God. Because remember, the objective of our faith, of true faith, is to please God. That's why we are using and remember different churches have different objectives given by God Himself. And to us very clearly from the beginning it is that we've been raised up as a teaching church. That's why God gave you two teachers from the secular world as your pastors. Remember we both were teachers and He put us pulled us out from there and put us as shepherds who teach. So that's why we keep teaching even in a time and a season like this, not less, but more. And unless we know God and what He really desires from us, we cannot please God. And our entire objective in life should be to please God. And God was pleased to Jesus. We know the two statements He makes from heaven about His Son is, I'm well pleased with you. So in First Corinthians chapter 9, I wore a shirt which I got for my birthday and my wife is saying, you look like a hep husband. <coughs> I'm speaking to my church. You know, you know me by now. You know, there are no secrets with us. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Can I have it? Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the price? Okay. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So the apostle, the Holy Spirit through the apostle is telling all the children of God. If you got into the kingdom yesterday or you got into the kingdom donkeys years back, it doesn't matter. Run. There is a race the Father has said before us. Run the race and run in such a way to win. Okay, just don't be aimless. Run in a way to obtain the prize. And in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, another apostle, maybe Paul himself, I do not know, but the same spirit tells, run in what way? Run in a way. Let us run, the last part of it. Let us run with endurance. Okay, run, put it together, 
run with endurance this race to win meaning don't quit it's not going to be easy okay you don't it, it's not going to be easy that's why we need endurance we need perseverance we need patience but remember you got into this race and your father put us into this race with an objective that we win so there is this father called father jacob not father abraham father jacob and his 11 sons we've been looking at different sons but i'm sticking to that one son <coughs> okay pastor vijay will pick up each of the other sons and put them under the lens i will stick to the so we are we are we are doing a spanish tango okay <coughs> okay so <coughs> the perspective on earth and the perspective from heaven are different if you look from earth perspective is completely different If you look from heaven, only one is in the race. Only one is in the race, okay, and nobody else is. <coughs> the one who is up, who is in the race, grace of God is upon him, because Romans six fourteen says it is grace of God gives you dominion over sin. Okay, and grace will cause you to reign. That is Romans five twenty one. Will says that you will reign in righteousness. okay that so that grace might reign through righteousness okay so all these pictures are coming in joseph one you overcome sin two you are reigning in righteousness and then one day true grace will cause you to reign with jesus one day that is revelation 3 and verse 21 so you will see a pattern on earth and then you will see one day that pattern being fulfilled in eternity in Christ Jesus. So Joseph has to overcome in his life here before he will sit on the throne the pharaoh will give him. So the picture is there, okay? It is from there we learn our lessons and look at life and we look perspective, okay? Because while on earth life looks so different like the 10 the first 10 seems to be really having a good time. Having a good time. But the eleventh one seems to be stumbling from trouble to trouble to more trouble. The perspective from earth heaven is completely different because only one is in the race. Okay, remember the Asaf, if I am right, how he looks at life outside and he is saying, "What's happening here? All the wicked ones seems to be having a gala time." Until I entered into the house of God and heard. Okay, so please, in the kingdom of God, we are all God's children. look at life from the perspective of heaven <clears throat> but because there is so much trouble in joseph's life please be very careful you have a note of caution about trouble okay the cause of all trouble began with adam and eve falling but the cause of all trouble is not sin okay if the cause of your trouble is sin then god is dealing with you okay has you dealt with naomi okay dealt with now i'm talking about believers if the cause of your trouble is sin and if you don't learn from it after a point god will leave you alone to yourself like he did with king saul okay cause of trouble if it is sin god is dealing with naomi the survivor of that trouble and will lead finally to her redemption king saul too it is sin 
But he doesn't listen, so God leaves him to himself and he sadly never learns and dies. On the other hand, if the cause of your trouble is righteousness, then like God says, rejoice. And Paul and Silas will rejoice in all the trouble they will go through because of righteousness sake, cause of trouble. If the cause of your trouble is righteousness, then like Pergamum, he will say, endure. <coughs> don't quit, endure. This will last 10 days. We don't know how long their 10 days was, 10 years. We don't know. But God says, endures. If the cause of your trouble is righteousness, then God says, don't get discouraged. Don't get depressed like Elijah. Get back on track. He got discouraged. He got depressed and needed to be taken to a place away from it all and personally spoken and encouraged by God. Okay. So when there is trouble in our lives, always do a good, uh, get a good radiology or pathology report. Okay. Okay. Very seriously, Lord, why am I going? Like, like one year famine. Okay. It didn't rain. Second year famine. Okay. It didn't rain. Third year. Okay, there's some problem over here. So David went and inquired of the Lord. So when trouble comes, don't take it lightly. Don't look around and say, COVID, yeah, everybody is going through that. No, that's not the point. That's not the point. God has given his children time to contemplate, to reflect, to go to him primarily. Because in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, God says, this one thing that can separate us from God, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So get get back to God. Because one of the problems, the most important problem that people do not realize in this world is sin cuts you away from God. And all the people who do not know God will always, if you are looking at it, is lifting up Mother Nature, not Father God. Mother Nature is now risen up and giving time. It's shut down everything. You polluted my oceans. You polluted my earth. You did this. You did this. So science will say, like nature has its own way of recorrecting, recalibrating. They, they are exalting science or nature. Because they do not know God. Okay, do not know God. We do not exalt science. We do not exalt nature. We exalt God. And God is saying, look, children, my children, get back. Get back. Spend time with me. Because I have, I am giving you time to reflect your own lives. Because this will be over, but something greater will come. Then the end will come. And I'm giving you time to put our lives right. Because sin cuts off, cuts us off from God. And He is the source of life. He is life. God is life. That's why God, when we have these great things, uh, like and we advertise it and the world tries to sell it, life, God says, I am life. Light, God says, I am light. Love, God says, I am love. Okay, he makes his statements and we are cut away from life. So if you turn to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24, the last verse in chapter 3, what happens is the result of sin. And it's not a pleasant way paradise ends, paradise lost. Genesis chapter 3 is paradise lost. It's not a, it's a sad line. He drove 
out the man. He didn't shepherd them out, or lead them, no, guide them. He drove out the man. And he placed Cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He, he cut them out from the tree of life. Okay? Please remember, this is what happened. Okay? That they had no more access to the source of life like they had before. Now, if you know, if you remember, if you know, I mean, we all know, at least theoretically, but if you have grown and you have seen these things, when you cut a thick branch from a tree and leave it like that, for quite some time, that leaves look green. And if you scratch that bark, it still looks green. But after some time, it slowly starts drying and the leaf starts dropping off. And after that, you will see the whole branch goes dry. But because it was a thick branch, there was so much of life still in it, the life ran for a season. But because it was cut off from the source, after time, it died. So when you read the record in Genesis chapter 5, you will see the age of man is so long. Because they had just been cut off from the source of life. 700 years, 800 years, 900 years. Okay? 900 years. Because they will live long. And among them, one man is, doesn't even die. That man recalibrates his entire life. And he chooses to walk with God. And if I am right, my math is right. When he was alive, Adam also was alive. Adam hadn't died yet. So Cain had access to one man who had actually physically walked with God. Sorry, Enoch. Enoch had access to one man. His great, 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 six times high up grandfather. I don't know what you call him. Six greats and grandfather. Okay? That is Adam. Adam is still alive. You know, see, see, God has always kept a testimony. The question is, are we interested or not? Ah, I was listening to a pastor, like this short clip, and he was talking about, you no, know, we talk about suffering and all in COVID time and all. He says, no, he says, but suffering is perspective differs from country to country. And, you know, like we hear these messages and all, you no, know, Pastor Vijay will tell us, you no, know, he wants to sit down with Paul and have perspective and all. But imagine we all sit together with Paul and Paul will say, okay, let's have a discussion of suffering, your experience. And we will all try to hide behind the pulpit. I have no experience, okay, daughter, we have nothing to say. Please, 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 please. Do you know if we were to have a perspective on suffering and the believers start coming through the ages, first century and China and Korea, and Iraq, and Iran, and they all start shutting up, and all our theology will fall apart. We will shut up. Okay, so even during this time, we have no clue what suffering is. We are taken well care of. So you have this chapter 5 where people are living long, 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 long. It's because they have been just been cut off from the source of life. And sometimes we need to also realize it is the sheer mercy of God that causes us also to live long. And we may not be even aware of it. Because there is a man in the middle in the narrative who lives for 969 years called Methuselah. The one who lives the longest. Here is a living symbol, a walking symbol of God's mercy. Yet you know this man who lived for 969 years 
symbol of God's mercy in that generation, so many generations, practically so many generations, only three verses are written about him, 969 years, Genesis chapter 5 and read 25 to 27. Three verses for 969 years, the longest surviving or longest living man on earth. Methuselah lived 187 years, begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, had sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. What a tragedy for a man who lived for 969 years, and nothing is written about him. Nothing, practically. His father's life was so radically changed. Radically changed. That he walked, his father walked with God for 300 years and was taken away, alive. You think he did not know his father's experiences with God or was he not interested? His grandson's life was so completely radically changed that before his very eyes, his great grandson, his, yeah, his grandson was building an ark for the saving of his household. And he was alive till the day the ark was finished. And his grandson was called a preacher of righteousness and his father was called the preacher of judgment and he was called nothing. It's called nothing. A life lived long with no purpose. It's no purpose. The longest lived life on earth yet cut off from the tree of life and from the voice of God with no purpose. So all the dear brethren who are listening to these messages morning and evening, take them seriously. Because after shutdown is over, we can grow intellectually fat and spiritually lean. Because we did not learn the lessons of faith. <clears throat> and in that long list given in Genesis 5, no. Saddest is Methuselah. Saddest is Methuselah. You know why? Because he had a father who walked with God and a grandson who walked with God. And nothing is mentioned about him. So in that Galatians 5 list also, remember 19 to 21, when you talk about flesh, I want you to go, the huge list is there. We are not reading the whole list. Just go to 21 and what is not mentioned in that list. And we murders and all, okay? And the like. In that like, there are so many things which God will keep on showing. Oh, thank God, none of these things is in my list. In this list, it's not mine. God says, and the like. Or which I tell you beforehand. And let me add one which is not there. Which is called apathy. Apathy. Okay, it's one of the terrible sins of the flesh which can totally blind our spiritual eyes. Okay? All these sins, any one of them can blind our spiritual eyes, if you are not aware. And apathy also can blind our eyes. So when you go through these things and these messages, the proof text is this, or the proof test is this. The question we need to ask each day is, how is it affecting my relationship with God? How is it affecting my relationship with my neighbor? And the neighbor is not the dude who lives next door. It's the people who live with you and live among you. 
the family of believers. How is the messages that God is speaking to me during these days, how is it changing my relationship with God and relationship with my neighbor? That's a question. Otherwise, we are intellectually getting thicker, big head. The spirit is leaner and meaner. So, Bible says about Joseph, one boy in that family that changed and kept on changing. And Joseph loved his father. And because he loved his father, he was willing to go that extra mile to serve his brothers who hated him. Beyond instruction to intention. So, like I said, even as we study all these characters from Reuben all the way to Joseph, keep your eyes on Jesus or we'll miss the point. We are not doing character studies like we did in university with the characters of Shakespeare. We are not doing character studies. What we are looking is tracking the life of Jesus Christ in each of these people and where people fell short of the life of Christ Jesus. What does sin means? Hamartia means off, fallen short. What is the target or the, the standard? It is Christ. So either we are looking at a weakness in a man or a strength in a man is where a man has fallen below Christ or has met, Christ has met the standard in him. So we are not studying these people. We are tracking the life of Jesus Christ. Because that's the life we have called to imitate by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yesterday we saw put on, put off, and put on. So Jesus in Joseph, you will see in Hebrews chapter 10, if I am right, and verse 7, 10, 7. Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written to, of me to do your will, O God. That's what Joseph is doing. Will you go? Here I am. To do your will. Joseph wants to do his father's will. In Psalm 40 and verse 8, how Jesus did the will of God, another nugget is there. I delight to do your will, O God. And your law is within my heart. So it is not only to do the will of God, are we also delighting to do the will of God? And that's Joseph. Joseph loves to do the will of his father and he delights to do the Otherwise, he will not go the extra mile. He'll stop at Dothan and go back. You go to Shechem, sorry, you'll Shechem, you won't go to Dothan. You go to Dothan because you delight to do your father's will. And your law is within my heart, not outside. Your instruction is outside but your in Intention is in my heart. I know your intention. It's in my heart. It's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. I understood what you meant. Go see if your brothers are well. So if they are not as she came, I will go to Dothan because I need to bring back a report that my brothers are well. Okay. And one is got to do with the ways of God. The other is got to do with the person of God. Okay, please understand there are two things. You can walk with a man, understand all his ways by observing him nicely and still miss the person. You have to learn the ways of God and learn the heart of God, both. One is the person, the other is the way he, meaning you can, you can understand the righteousness of all his ways and 
overlook or not understand the kindness, the mercy, the compassion and the love of God. Miss that completely. There is a person and there are the ways of that person. So we go back to Cain for a second and look in Genesis chapter 4. Remember that's where all the trouble begin with the two brothers. The story of the two brothers. Jealousy, envy. And God, verse 7, God makes an interesting statement over there to Cain and to all of mankind. Very simple statement even within the church. If you do well, will you not be accepted? I'm not getting into the second part of it. What Pastor Vijay taught about it. If you do not well, what waits for you? Okay? If you had just said, if you do not do well, you will not be accepted. It's light. That's not what he says. If you do not well, somebody else is waiting there. It's not that I'm not there. Somebody else is there. Okay? If you do well, will you not to be accepted? Meaning, if you do right, you will be accepted. And you do not realize everybody in the world is running after one thing, to be accepted. And almost everything they do, everything, like no, it, it is to be accepted. Like I wore this new shirt, it had been lying there for so many months, I've forgotten about it, I don't, can't even, I don't even know who gave it for my birthday. And then today I wore it and you all looked at it, but my wife recognized it. So I felt good. She said, ah, you're looking happy. Okay, somebody recognized I'm wearing a new shirt. You feel good. The middle of a message also you feel good. Like, no? Because, of course it is flesh. Okay? The whole world is looking for acceptance. And Cain is frustrated like so many people. I worked so hard. You don't recognize me. You don't care. But God is not talking about his hard work. God is saying that if you do right, if you do what is good, the problem is after man ate from that tree, he became the arbiter of what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. Actually, only God is the arbiter of what is good and what is right. That's why Jesus stops that man. Good master, he says, wait a second. Who told you I'm good? Who told you I'm good? How did you reach that conclusion? You don't know me. And you don't have any right to dis- decide anybody is good or bad. There's only one. There's a day set for that. On that day, you should say, well done, my good. Then you are good. Your works have been accepted. The problem is, man wants to be the arbiter of who, what is good and what is wrong. Bad. What is right? What is wrong? But when it comes to these things, only God is the arbiter. Okay. But everybody wants to be accepted. No? So you will see in the outside elite, uh, wife sent a message saying it is her gift. Thank you, honey. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is all like Shakespeare's drama within the drama. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what you will see is, in this race by man to be accepted, that's what everything, everything everybody is doing is to be accepted, honestly. And the man who is running the race of faith is also running his race to be accepted. Huh? 
Yeah, everybody, 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 everyone, like the child immediately after it senses and understands his father and mother and all, he is also trying to please. Okay. But we need to realize and note this, before anything we do can be accepted, we need to be accepted first. That is what mankind does not understand. That is why Bible says God looked at Abel, then looked at his work. First he accepted Abel. Then he accepted his works. Are you getting the picture? No, those who saw the picture and did not see in the corner of that picture which I posted, one green little piece of clothing, that was Appu has found her hiding place, okay? There's Appu over there hiding and singing, okay? So you could only hear the voice from that hiding place. But let me tell you, let's, as an illustration, we will use Appu Kuti today. <clears throat> Imagine Appu Kuti cooks an incredible meal for us. And then serves it to us in dirty plates. We'll be very polite and tell Appu we are all fasting today. <laughs> we are all fasting today. Okay, we don't want to hurt our feelings, so we'll say, no, we are all fasting today. Case scenario two. Appu cooks an ordinary meal simple, ordinary meal, but serves it in very clean plates. We'll eat. We may not say it is so great, and we'll all eat. Or third scenario, Appu cooks a fantastic meal and serves in extremely clean plates. We'll all enjoy and be satisfied. So when we come to God, the first thing God is saying is, stop, your plate is dirty. Your righteousness is like filthy rags before me. Stop. Stop. Cannot accept your works. Cannot accept your works. Stop. And he tells it through the prophet Isaiah. All your righteousness is like filthy rags before me. Okay? And there is only one way, if you go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, there is only one way we can be accepted by Him. To the praise of the glory of His grace. How are we saved? Grace. And what is the glory of His grace? By which He made us accepted in the beloved. That is Christ Jesus. That's the glory of grace. The work of grace is we are saved. The glory of grace is we are accepted by God only in Christ. Okay? The plate is clean. We are accepted only in Christ. In Him. That's why when they ask Jesus, teach us also, show us also to do the works of God. He says, this is the work of God. Believe in me. Believe in me. If you believe in me, you repent, you believe in me, then you are accepted in me, and after that you will start hearing what are the works you need to do. And your cooking will get better and better and better and better and better. What you offer will be acceptable more and more and more before God. The works which God prepared for us 
even before the foundation of the world. Symbolic. Joseph was sent with his brothers to work in the fields. Okay. He comes back. He receives a coat. And he receives a coat. Okay. I will, I will explain it to you this way. There, there is what I call, what is called a provisional acceptance before faith. Before true faith comes. A provisional acceptance. Go to Acts chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. Acts 10 verses 1 and 2. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He's a Roman, a Gentile, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Did he know God? No. Did he pray to God? Yes. So God gives him a vision. And in the vision, he will see, asking him to send people to Peter. So this is the scene that follows. Peter will come there. Verse 35. Peter will start preaching Christ. And what does he tell him? In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Every nation, any Gentile nation, if you have some innate fear of God and tries to work out righteousness, is accepted by him. How? He will send somebody to preach the gospel to you. And I believe in it. I truly, truly believe in it. That if there is any man in any land who has no access to the gospel, but if he really fears God and tries to do what is righteousness within what he knows, God will see that he hears about Christ. This is what I call provisional acceptance. God will always honor those things. Because eyes are forever looking back and forth, back and forth with heaven. Anybody who is searching for me, trying to seek my ways. So, accepted by him. And he starts preaching. From 35 onwards, Peter is preaching, preaching. And 44, what happens is, God, while Peter was still speaking these words, what happened? The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Meaning, they were all accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. Okay? Not your work saved by your works. But if your works are good, God doesn't overlook it. He's not accepting your works, but he will send you the word. And when you believe in the word, you are accepted in the beloved. So what happens is, Joseph is seen working with his brothers first. One among eleven. And he shows zeal for his earthly father's name. And his earthly father, no, God through his earthly father accepts him and gives him a coat. He's accepted. Now if you notice, he was earlier with his brothers working and then his father accepts him. And after the father accepts him, he is not working with his brothers, he is being sent to his brothers. Now we are not in the world or of the world, but we are sent to the world. Because we have been accepted first, we are changed, now God will send us to our brothers to redeem them. That's how life changes. 
People are still the same. Reuben is Reuben. Family is family. Brothers are brothers. But something has changed. Earlier you were with the brothers. Now you are sent to the brothers. That's how our life changes post-salvation. And you have to notice the difference. Okay, the world has not changed. Who changed? We changed. Our brothers are still the same. The people we were with them earlier are still the same. Did they change? No. Who changed? We changed. And he sends us to them. Because he is accepted in the beloved, symbolically that quote, a symbol. Okay, don't take it exactly as a symbol. Because he has been accepted in the beloved, God is able to speak to him now. He gets two dreams. God is able to speak to him now. And his father is able to send him. God doesn't directly always send. He sends it through men. God gives the calling. It's man who sends him. Okay? Paul is called by God. But the message is given by Ananias. And later in the church, they fast. The Holy Spirit says, and Paul and Barnabas are separated and sent by men, but called by God. Who gives Who gives Joseph the dreams? God. Who sends Joseph to Sishem? Man. It's his father. Okay? And his father is sending to his brothers. Who anoints David? It's God. Who anoints? Who sends him to his brothers? His father. No. Father. Okay. So please understand these models. But that is why people worry about the call of God. Don't worry about the call of God. What you need to worry is, am I seeking the righteousness of God in everything? And the call will come. Whatever the nature of the call is. Joseph was seeking the righteousness of God in this little format, his father, he was accepted. God gave him the call and his father sent him. Okay. We are called to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The call will come. Okay. And when the call of God comes, you will know it. Okay. God will skirt ten brothers and speak to the youngest. God will skirt seven brothers and speak to the youngest. God will skirt the high priest and the priests and the priest sons and the Levites and everybody and speak to the little boy called Samuel. Okay? So it does not so much matter where you are. What matters is who you are. Most of these people receive their calls in very strange locations and places. Not while they were in the top of a hill in a disposition and looking up and fasting they received the call of God. No. In very ordinary places they received the call of God. And most of them received the call of God through other men. Joseph is, is being sent by his father. David is being sent by his father. Samuel receives it through, inter, uh, understands it through Eli. Okay? All these people. So where you are does not matter. But who you are matters. Okay? After being in the beloved, you need to hear it so that you start doing the works of God. 
So, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, the greatest in the Old Testament, according to Jesus' own words. Verse 180, okay. I think my teen and T is still confusing, Pastor Vijay confusion. Huh? Okay. <coughs> 80, okay. So the child grew and became strong in the spirit. Who is this? John the Baptist. And was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Where is he? He's in the desert. Cut away from all communication. He has no internet, no telephone, no mobile. Cut away from everybody. He's absolutely, totally cut away from everybody. He's in the deserts. And he's waiting for this manifestation. And scripture says in Luke chapter 3, 1 to 2, the person is prepared, okay? And when the time is ready, scripture says, fifth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, Philip being tetrarch of Eturia, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. Five secular leaders, political leaders, Two religious leaders, God skirts all of them, goes to the wilderness and the word of the Lord came to John. So where you are does not matter. Who you are before God matters. Five big people in the world. Authority from Rome onwards, one, two, three, four, hierarchy is given. Five big people in the world. The biggest people in that, as far as Israel is concerned in the world, the five top guns. Religious spectrum, the two top guns. The word of God missed all of them. Skirted all over. Another seven people are skirted. And comes to a man, young man, 30 year old man in the wilderness. Okay. So please remember, we have all have purpose. God has shut us all down. Please prepare. Please know purpose. And no, don't look at what God tells you. Oh, that is a very small thing. No, nothing is small. And when the word of God comes to you, I'm telling you, there will be clarity. John chapter 1 and verse 6. Very, very clear. God of God is not confusing. If you are still and silent, wait for God to prepare you. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He did not go. He was sent. Okay. That is the, that is the confidence you should always have. Yes, I heard. I heard. And I was sent. It's a man sent from God. The sent business is very important. He was sent from God. He was not a man who just went. He was sent. Very clear about his call. Luke 3, 3. Clarity about the call. Clarity regarding his message. He went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Very clear. This is my task. Very, very clear. This is what I am called to do. The call is clear. The work or the message is clear. Not only that, when you step out of the wilderness into this mass of humanity, you are absolutely clear about your identity too. John chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, and then 19 to 23. Very clear. No confusion there. You have to be very, very clear about your identity. This man came for a witness. Who are we all? A witness. To bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. 
He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Very clear. And if you go to verse 19, now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny and confessed, I am not the Christ. They are asking him, who are you? He is telling them who he is not. We need to know who we are not. We are not Christ. Okay, we are not Christ. There is only one Christ. We are not Christ. Then next verse. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? This He said, no, I am not. Verse 22. Then they said to him, who are you? That we might give an answer to those who sent us. They were also sent. Who do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as prophet Isaiah has said. That's all I am. I'm just a voice. Right now we have become a face also. We are very disturbed. I am disturbed by it. But we were always, <laughs> we were always <laughs> voices. Okay, just a voice. We are just a voice preparing the way for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what we believe we are. All of us, all those in this ministry. First ministry was John's ministry and all those who went before him. Okay, before him was to prepare for Jesus Christ. So he came, pointed, behold the Lamb of God, his work is over. And after that he decreases, decreases, decreases. And so he's not bothered. I've finished my work. People are all going to him. The crowds are now around him. They try to create jealousy. He said, no, that's fine. I finished my work. My job is done. My job was to point people to him. Now that he has come, his church is growing. I'm absolutely fine. Now our job is something else. Our job also is to point people to the one who is coming back. The message is slightly different. Prepare, 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 prepare. Because he's not coming to save. He's coming to judge. So prepare people for judgment. That's a different kind of repentance. Okay? Prepare people for judgment. So there, we have to be very, very, very careful. Because where there is no clarity, the flesh will immediately catch hold of it. Remember, we are dealing with the flesh. The flesh likes when there is no clarity. Okay, and there are a lot of servants of God, and we were all like there once upon a time, where we were not clear. We knew we were called, and we were called to, but what exactly we were? So we became the jack of all trades. Tried doing many things, until clarity came and said, stop it. You've been called to do this. Because where there is no clarity, though you have heard, but you did not understand it carefully. Okay, this word understand is a very important word in the Bible. You can hear, but if you don't, okay, if you don't understand, you don't know what you are standing under. Okay, that's what exactly it means. I understood and I'm standing under what I understood. That is what is defining me. I understand. When we don't understand what God is talking about, the flesh, flesh hates first you hearing. He hates the spirit. And when the spirit hears, he's really, really mad and hopes you don't understand. And if you don't really understand, then the flesh will take hold of it. So Abraham hurt. Come up. Come out, sir. Come out, sir. The ten. Come here. Come here. Look up. Did you see? 
he saw. Then gave him, put him to sleep, gave him this vision, covenant is ratified, everything, and he has heard very clearly, but did not understand clearly. So in chapter 16 of Genesis, you don't have to go there, is chaos. Flesh immediately grabs hold of it. Oh, we have been promised a seed. Well, I am barren. Why don't you take my maidservant, that to Egyptian maidservant, and have a child? He agrees to it. And you have an Ishmael. And as soon as Ishmael is not even birthed, you don't have to birth in Ishmael. You just have to conceive Ishmael. Trouble starts. Hagar starts acting up. She starts acting. This total confusion, conflict, mayhem, peace is gone from the house completely. Why? Because flesh gives into flesh. His flesh, Abraham's flesh, gave into Sarah's flesh, produced a child through Hagar's flesh. Now flesh is totally in conflict. Sarah is fighting Hagar and Abraham and then she is fighting Abraham and Abraham the flesh hides and says, you do whatever you want to do. She becomes a typical Indian mistress. Hagar is running for her life. Then God has to deal with Hagar and get her back. All kinds of jugad is happening over there. Did this man hear from God? Yes. Was there clarity? Why? Flesh was in control. And flesh is still strong. So it will take a long, long time for God to speak again to Abraham. So please understand, we all look at the bad, visible signs of flesh. But there are a lot of things about this, like this in that flesh. And when flesh is strong, God cannot speak. Because remember, we have seen it over and over again. Flesh is contrary to the spirit and the spirit is contrary to the flesh. Meaning, it's hostile. Contrary is a very light word. Actually, it is hostile. It fights the spirit. And millions and millions of believers' lives in terms of time has been taught like in the world they will always put work in terms of man hours like yeah they put it across yeah believing man hours has been wasted in billions in god's kingdom though they have heard but there is no clarity because the flesh was strong and they have created ishmael's left right and center simply because not they did not hear but there was no clarity in what they heard. Because flesh was strong. It's not that God did not speak, but flesh was strong. They did not go back and wait until God spoke to them again and clarified it. So in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, God will come 13 years later. 13 years later. Why? Because now his flesh is dead and he's ready to hear. He can hear. Abraham was 99 years old. Earlier he had spoken to him about Isaac before Ishmael was born when he was 87. Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. We are not looking, we have looked at all these things many, many times in the past. Walk before me, be blameless. You are absolutely been led by the flesh, not right before me. 
I want you to write before me. And the first thing he tells him so that he can walk before him, verse 10, he tells him is what? This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Okay, circumcision, it is the cutting away of the flesh. The first thing he says, Abraham, if you ever want to walk before me and be blameless, you need to hear. And you will never hear as long as your flesh is strong. So as a sign, I will give you, cut away the flesh. Okay, and we know about Deuteronomy 36, all that. Circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the spirit. Everything that is that attaches us to this world, when it is cut away, including our fears, not only our dreams, our fears, when it is cut away, then you will start hearing. Now, remember, circumcision hasn't taken place yet. And God is still talking to him. Verse 15 and 16. Go to 15 and 16. God is still speaking. There is no circumcision that has taken place. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And I will bless her. She shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Is he circumcised? No. God is speaking to him. So look at verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 year old, bear a child? Yeah, go to verse, keep, keep it there. Verse 17. Look at his posture. He fell on his face. His posture is one of humility. But if you look at the posture of his heart, it is one of unbelief. Okay. That is the problem with the flesh. The flesh can give you a very humble posture and rise up in unbelief. And that's how people get fooled in the kingdom of God. They look at their posture, how they are praying. No? And rise up totally unchanged. Posture is great. But the heart God looks at, it says, there is no belief at all. In that humble posture, what are you praying? Look at verse 18. What are you still perceiving? Oh Lord, that Ishmael might still live before you. You're still perceiving flesh. Okay? Posture is fantastic. But you are still pursuing your flesh. And be very careful what you ask of God. Be very, very careful what you ask of God. Still pleading for his flesh to be blessed. Now let us fast forward. Many years. Genesis 21, it's 8 to 9. 21, 8 to 9. Isaac. Quickly, yeah. This is Isaac is born, growing up. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made, yeah. Abraham made, yeah, you. Great feast on that same day Isaac was weaned. Now we know from Samuel, after Samuel was weaned, Hannah 
And Elkanah was planning to take him and present him to the Lord in the temple. So weaning is a big, big thing. You have come of age to be presented to God. So Isaac is weaned. And he threw a great feast. But something is happening there. While he is ready to be present to the Lord, Sarah saw something. Because Abraham's eyes are still blinded. She saw. Because Abraham has two things in his life. Ishmael and Isaac. Flesh and spirit. Sarah has only one thing, spirit. So she is able to see clearly what he is not able to see. Okay. So whoever heart is not divided is to able to always see better the husband or the wife. Whoever it is in a family or in a church. Whoever heart is single minded is able to see. Abraham is double minded because he has Ishmael over there which is his son and Isaac over there which is also his son. Sarah has only one son. That is Isaac. So Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Okay, Sarah is able to. The question is, do we have the eyes of Sarah at this point where we are able to see our flesh scoffing the spirit? Are we able to see it? That when you hear all these messages and you decide, okay, I am making, I am repenting, and you hear that flesh says, you repent? I know how many times you did this. I know this. Who are you trying to fool? Maybe it is your own spouse who will mock you and says, don't, don't, I don't believe you. I don't trust you at all. How many times you have told sorry? You know. So, always remember, Ishmael will mock Isaac. Flesh will always mock Isaac, spirit. Verse 10 to 11 will say, Abraham is distressed. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. So it has now become her son and his son. Son of the spirit and the son of the flesh. Interesting verse 12 begins with a interjection over there. But God said, now there is a split in the family. The real person, the third person comes in and says, but God said to Abraham, don't let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be blessed, shall be called or blessed. Okay, and verse 13, it will also make a nation of the son of the bond woman, because he is your seed. There are two words over there, which God is using. As far as Isaac is concerned, and Ishmael is, Ishmael also will become big, don't worry. But your son will be the heir, your son will be the one who is called. Okay, so please get this. Meaning, on the day of judgment, only the work of Christ will stand, nothing else. In our flesh also, we have done many things, and many of those things prosper. Pastor Vijay has even a doctorate degree in his house. I also have one whole file full of certificates he also has, all done in the flesh. It was not really bad work, it was good work. But, 
It will not inherit. That is not an heir of the things that are eternal. It's not an heir. There is no inheritance for it. So when Abraham is about to die, he will give all the other sons gifts and send them away. So in this time, in this age, for all that we got gifts. Your names were called, we were, we had to wear a topi and stand over, we all got gifts and were sent away. Okay? If you are working in an office, you will get best employee award, increment, and nothing will be taken to heaven. But something that is will be taken to heaven is Isaac. And Isaac is the work of God. So God will say, put to death the works of the flesh. And the flesh is nasty. It's like Ishmael. It's a scoffer. Every time you try to obey the spirit, you know what is the first word that you will either hear from your own flesh or flesh next to you? Hypocrite. You hypocrite. You hypocrite. Don't listen to the voice of Ishmael, okay? So, there are so many facets of the flesh. If God does not reveal, we will not even know. It's like coaching. The coach, the trainer, no? You have to always keep your eye on the trainer. He knows your frailties. You may think, I'm really good. And the coach says, no, you were not good today. You had your flaws today. And the Holy Spirit is our trainer in this race. If you look at as a real race, the Holy Spirit is your trainer. And if you don't listen to his voice, there are so many things we think which are actually good are actually bad. And they are the works of the flesh. And because this was not included in Galatians 5, 19 to 22, we feel very good. It is not there. But we don't realize everything was not included there. I'll give you an example. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, or not to be regretted. Meaning, you will have no regrets, because you know God has handled it. But sorrow of the world produces death. So there is a sorrow. It is not there. In Galatians 5, there is no sorrow mentioned over there. Is sorrow mentioned over there? But here it says that sorrow of the world produces death. So it has to be a sorrow of the flesh. Sorrow of the flesh. And it is so dangerous, scripture says it can produce death. Yet it is not mentioned as a work of the flesh, when it is one of the most dangerous works of the flesh. A sorrow of the world. This godly sorrow is connected to God. Worldly sorrow is connected to the self. And worldly sorrow can incapacitate you. Kill you in the long run. Let's go to Genesis 37. Okay. We are going a little far ahead. This is after they sell Joseph. They get take his coat, kill an animal, put some blood on it. Maybe it was again another lamb which was killed. Because they couldn't have gone hunting. So they take another innocent lamb has to die. Now to cover their sins. Okay. Everywhere a lamb is dying unmentioned. 
Okay, they bring it, verse 31 to 35. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of, the, yeah, I was right, kid of the goats, dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Okay, we'll leave all that. We'll come to that some day later. Yeah. Come further down. Yeah. He, rec- yeah. he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. Daughters, he has only one daughter. Daughters means his daughters-in-law, okay, to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave to my son in the morning. Thus his fathers wept for him. See that? Sorrow has gripped his heart and everything has been forgotten. The God who met you at Bethel. The God who told you at Haran, arise and go back to your father's house. The God who met him at Mahanim and sent two companies of angels to protect his group. The God whom he met at Peniel, have seen God face to face. And his destiny was changed and made it into Israel. And even now in your sorrow, when you get up, the limb still hurts. But even that pain has been swallowed by another pain. Everything has been forgotten. Everything. This is a man of destiny. Unbelievable destiny whose name has been changed so radically. Abraham only became Abraham. Isaac was Isaac. Yaqub became Israel. And that is from where the nation will come. Everything is forgotten. Including what is written in 37.11. That also has been forgotten. Okay, you forgot all your visions and dreams. His brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You forgot your son's dream also. You've forgotten everything. You know what sorrow can do? Sorrow can do. And verse 35 says something about it. All his sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. So pastors, when they ask, me this question about people like that, I tell them, leave them alone. You can't counsel them. You cannot counsel. If you counsel them, you become their enemy. You become their enemy. They will not receive counsel. Leave them alone. They will actually accuse you of having no feelings. No empathy. Because their sorrow is focused on self. For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. But don't you have 11 other sons? Are you getting the picture? Now you understand why there is no history of Israel for the many, so many chapters. And the history of Israel is seen only through Joseph. For the next 22, 23, 24 years. The father and the ten sons are all drowned in various manifestations of the flesh. This is not godly sorrow. This is worldly sorrow which we call in English self-pity. Self-pity. And that's what Naomi is also wallowing in self-pity. Poor me, poor me, poor me. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. God cannot speak to us, so he has to speak to Ruth. God is a good God. 
He's a loving father. But he cannot talk to so many people within the church because they have wallowed in this worldly sorrow, self-pity, and they have wasted God's time, God's strength, God's grace. Godly man-hours have been gone. Years and years of life wasted away. Absolutely wasted away. Because you made an idol about a child or a uh, husband or a wife or somebody who died or walked away or rebelled or something. The question here is, is Joseph dead? No, he's not dead. A lot of people live as if Jesus is dead. Is he dead? No. But is he really alive in your life? No. This is the things which God appreciates about David. They will arise from his son's death. He arises out of his son's death. Okay? And he comes back, worships God, and he comes back and he eats because God is alive. And the work of God still has to continue. You know? You have to be very, very careful about these things. Especially new covenant believers have to be very, very careful about these things. How do you see death? Or the loss of anything that is important. How do you see death? You know, people think I'm very, very hard when I say these things. I have two deaths personally related to me. January the 12th, 1994, my father. May the 30th, my son. Buried them both. Till today, I've never gone to their graves. Either it is a reality that my father got saved and my son got saved and I will see them there or I live in this reality. And I refuse to live in this reality. They are not dead. They are living. They are living. Either you believe what Christ has said or you believe your feelings. Season, a little time is given for 30 days in the old covenant. New covenant, do you need 30 days? No. You don't need 30 days. They were living in an age where there was no hope. You are living in the hope living in us. There are people living with no hope. We have living hope in us. And God says, how do you look at eventually? How do you look through eyes of faith? How do you see? And this is one of the traps of the flesh. You know? And like Naomi, so many people blame God. God was saying, I was always there. I was with you. But there was no way I could cut through that fog in your mind and try to speak to you. Look. Look. Don't get fooled. You're so overwhelmed by your feelings that you think it is real. It is not real. It's not real. What is real is what I have told about you. Where is your father? With you, Lord. Where is your son? With me, Lord. With you, Lord. I'm good. I'm good. We are not like Gentiles who have no hope in death. So don't be ignorant. And be foolish about these things, how f- the flesh can trap us. Because we all have to come through this and stand before the king one day. So we revert back to Joseph. Joseph goes to serve his fa- brothers. 
And that is a desire of his father. And because he goes to serve his brothers and knows the heart and the desire of his father, God's dealings can begin with him. God's dealings cannot begin with any man who is not willing to serve the will of the father and serve his brothers. Only with them God works. We think we are in ministry, all of us. But we don't realize we are not actually in ministry. That is just something that God uses to circumcise our hearts. Joseph thinks he's going to serve his brothers. God says, no, I'm going to circumcise your heart now so that you can hear me clearer and clearer. In the process, you will serve your brothers too. You think that is your primary thing. You don't realize the work that I am doing in you. You are so focused on the work that I am doing through you. You don't realize I am doing a greater work in you. Keep your eyes. Keep your eyes on that. Flesh is being dealt with. That's why we have, should not get blinded by the ministry we are doing. Our ears and eyes should be open to the ministry the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Otherwise we will miss this while we are so excited by this. Don't miss it. John chapter 15 and verse 2. This is what God said. 15 and verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Okay, leave it alone. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Prune, he circumcises, he cuts. That's why I asked during this lockdown period, the question you need to ask at the end of it as days progress, how is my relationship with God changing? How is my relationship with my neighbor changing? Because that's where you will know clarity in your soul. How is it changing? How am I the person changing towards God, vertically, towards man? The closest to men. You don't have to go around and look over the wall of your Gentile neighbor. That's not what I'm talking about. That's we are very polite and all. We are not talking about that. Everybody who is hearing knows exactly what we are talking about. So you see us speaking in ministry, all of us in ministry. But we don't see what is actually being dealt with is the flesh. In First Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1 onwards. 17, verse 1 on. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. That was his first ministry. Go, preach, or speak the word to the king. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, hide by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Everybody knows by now, Cherith means cutting away. The prophet is being circumcised to hear clearer. Sit there and reflect. You don't have to preach. You don't have to study. You don't have your scrolls with you. You have nothing. Just sit there. Let me refine you. 
That will be zarefat, of course. Zarefat means refining. Let me circumcise your ears. The reason is you've been called for an incredible situation to reign over the king, over the nation, and over the powers of darkness because nobody can hear in Israel. Powers of darkness have taken over my nation. If you have to bring this nation back to me, you should have so much clarity that you are able to hear me so clearly and not go wrong. So I'm going to circumcise your ears. Sit there. Sit there. You'll get two meals a day. It will come to you. You just sit there in the silence, in the solitude, and tune your ears to hear my voice. He's being circumcised. And people do not, people of God do not realize that God has locked down every house in the world and is circumcising our ears so that we will learn to hear. Because what is going to come after this, we need to hear clearly. Every man, every woman, every shepherd has to hear. And you cannot go wrong in what you are hearing. You know? He's cutting the branch here, chipping away. Pruning it so that Elijah can bear more fruit. So don't forget the purpose of the father. Joseph thinks he is going to serve his brothers. God says no. Remember my call? Do you remember my dreams I gave you? He has no clue. To reach there, you need to be circumcised. Your flesh has to be cut away, dealt with. Your flesh. Everybody wants to reign with Christ Jesus, but nobody wants to get rid of the flesh. Everybody is like Abraham, caught. I want Isaac also to reign. I want Ishmael also to reign, God says. Well, I will make Ishmael a great nation, but the heir and the call is with Isaac. Okay. Don't pray like Abraham. Let Ishmael go. Shmel go. So here is poor Joseph, I believe. The father said, Joseph is going. The mothers all heard. Three mothers. He has no mothers. So all the mothers must have cooked. Okay, okay. Bilha, Zilpa, Leah. Oh, okay, okay. They all cooked what their own sons all like. And he's carrying a load, I believe, for all the eleven brothers cooked by their mothers. Achhe, achhe, khana. Lekar chal re, poor fellow, caring for his 11 brothers. He think they will be happy to see me because I brought them news. Daddy is fine. Mommy is fine. Good news from home and good food from home. No, it's, a, it's a nice, no guile in his heart. It's an innocent teenage boy going there happily, but he has no clue. 37 and verse 18. This is what the Bible says. God is starting the work. He, he found them in Dothan, we know. When they saw him afar off, even before he came near. Question is, go to verse 23. How did they see him from far? Yes, because he was wearing that coat. How did they see him from far? Far away they saw a figure, very colorful figure. Coat of Many colors. Okay. You will see in verse 23, the first thing they do is they strip Joseph of his tunic. So the question to be asked is that, why would you wear that coat 
to go to see your brothers such a far distance. Of course you know they hate you for that coat. Yes, your father gave it to you. That's fine. But you know your brothers hate you. Hated you when that coat was given to you. Why would you wear that coat? It's a gift. Of course it's a gift. Why would you wear it? Why would you show it off? That was the flesh in Joseph. Showing the gift off. God gives his children with many things to use it, not to show it off. Be careful. Be careful. And the gift in itself may be good or harmless. The question is, does God like it or we like it? That's a question. Are we getting too fascinated with our gift? That we have to have it, carry it, show it wherever we go? Then it's time it was stripped off. I'm not saying it is, it is, any of that is per se bad. There's nothing bad in that quote. It's given also by a nice person. But the problem is, are you proud about it? If we are on that way, that race, whatever we are proud of, be sure the Father will strip you of it. Strip you of it. You know why? Because only the meek can inherit. The proud cannot. The proud cannot inherit. Proud cannot. And if you don't become meek, he will make you meek. He will make you meek. If you are proud that you are a great husband, he will strip you of that. If you inside were proud you were a great father, he will strip you of that by changing your children. And you don't want that. You don't want that. Whatever you are proud of, be very sure. That's why God says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. If he's got his hand over you, telling you, you are destined to reign. You are on the road. That's why Jesus said, learn of me. I am meek and lowly. And Jesus' temptations, remember by the devil, was one of the final temptations was to show off. Come on. Jump from the temple. Come on, show off. You're the son of God. Angels will come suddenly, one flight of angels coming, and everybody will say, the Messiah has come. You will be approved as Messiah by showing off. His flesh, his own flesh and blood told him to show off. And he said, no. And read the account very, very carefully. Okay, you have to know very carefully. John chapter 7 verses 2 to 6. First from 2 onwards we will read. 
After these things, Jesus walked into Galilee because he did not walk in Judea because the Jews ought to sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. It's a feast, meaning huge crowd of people come for all these feasts. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. What are they telling him? Show off! For even his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus said to him, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. For the brothers to believe in it, him, the crowds needs to receive him. Okay, that's a struggle. Pastors all struggle with that. I will always tell my pastors, no pastors can't. If you have just five people, ten people, fifteen people, fifty people in your little church, don't Ever feel you're not a servant of God because you see on Aradhana TV and God TV, this huge congregation like a stadium. Oh, they are real pastors. I am not. I said, who told you? Who told you this? Look on YouTube. They have 2.5 million, 50, 20 million people who have watched. Who told you? For his brothers to believe him, he needs to show off before the crowds and the crowds need to accept him. Then we will believe in you. That's the problem. The flesh, his own brothers, are telling him this. He told them, my time has not yet come. Your t- people who are showing off, your time is always. You are like the young Joseph wearing the coat when you are going to sleep also. <laughs> you have to travel 60 kilometers in this heat to see your brothers and you are wearing this coat and going. Your time is always. Now let's go to verse 9 and 10. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast. Not openly, but as it were in secret. He went. But he went in secret. And verse 14 is interesting. However, no one spoke openly for okay. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. He went secretly. The feast is begun. First day you don't see him. Second day you don't see him. He's there. He's there. And they are all looking for him. But in the middle of the feast, when his father told him, this is the time to show up. Okay? Don't show off, but show up when God tells you. Middle of the feast, he showed up. When the father tells you to show up and you don't show up, now you are showing off your humility. That's false humility. Okay, be very careful. There is the flesh has got something called humility also. <laughs> the humility of the flesh. This false humility. Okay. You have to be very, very careful about Because we have to show up when God tells you to show up. Otherwise, we are just showing off our humility. And these are all extremes of the flesh. Showing off when God tells you, stay hidden. And not showing up. Okay? All this you have to be very, very careful about. I'll show you the picture. The flesh. 
1 Samuel chapter 10 verses 20 to 22. 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 20 to 22. When Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matthew was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, they could not be, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord, Has this man come here? The man, the Lord said, There is he, hidden among the baggage. Nobody could find this fellow. He had been chosen earlier, he has been anointed earlier, the Spirit of God had come upon him, he had prophesied everything. But the hour he needed to be shown before the people, nobody can find him. And God had to reveal it. That fellow is hiding under the baggage. False humility. When he needs to show up, he is missing. And he thinks he is very humble. Very humble. Nobody can find him. Because sometimes it happens when we tell people to do something, no pastor, no pastor, I am not worthy to do this pastor, I am this thing. Come on, stop showing off. Go do it. We encounter this show off of humility all the time. And God says, shut up and go do what I am telling you to do. So when you are supposed to show up, He's showing off his humility. Okay, false humility. Now, First Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. When he should show off, when he should have stood up, he was hiding. And Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. It was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel. Indeed, he set up a monument for himself. He has gone on around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. When he should be hiding, he's showing off. He should have been hiding now. He's showing off. When he should have been showing up, he was hiding. When he should be hiding his head in shape, he's showing off. Built a monument also. Where is he? Not at Carmel. Not at Mount Carmel. The prophet went to Mount Carmel. Where has he gone to? Gilgal. Now look at what happens in verse 27 and 29. As Samuel turned to go away, salt seized the edge of his robe and it tore. And also the strength of Israel will not... Oh no, you missed one verse, 28 you missed. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, nor is a man that he should relent. Where was the kingdom torn away from him? When the kingdom was torn away from him, where was he? He was not on Mount Carmel. Where was he torn it away from him? He was at Gilgal. Let's go back and check the history of Gilgal. Joshua chapter 5, 8 and 9. Joshua chapter 5, 8 and 9. This is new generation, Joshua generation. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. And Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. What does Gilgal represent? That is when flesh was cut away. Where is he judged? At Gilgal. You thought your flesh was dead, right? 
Saul, you are at the place where flesh should have died. So at that place where flesh should have died, your flesh is very alive. So I am tearing the kingdom away from you at that same place. That's what Gilgal represents. Gilgal represents where our flesh is supposed to die. But he's standing at that flesh with his flesh full blown. God said, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. Your flesh never died. You're not qualified to reign anymore. He took the kingdom away from us. Right now the world is shut out completely. We should be dead to the world. Yet in another picture, if you go to Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1. The overcomer. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from? You see, we don't see Elisha's name in the Bible before it except once. He comes to his father's house puts the mantle over him, he kills all his oxen, cooks it, and he leaves for the next, theologians say, 12 years. 12 years. You don't see or hear Elisha at all. The next 10 or 12 years, this young man's flesh has been cut away. And when he's revealed to us, he's revealed at Gilgal. And he will go ahead and become the overcomer. And he will reign on on behalf of Yahweh. He is not like Elijah. Kings trembled. He never ran before any king. Kings trembled before him. He never walked. When kings sent people and all, he was just contemptuous about it. Armies were sent. He wasn't bothered at all. You know why? Because he begins his ministry at a point where his flesh is completely cut away. And then God reveals him to the world. The last time we saw him was when he was called. The next time when you see him, when he's revealed to the world. So Joseph is destined to rule. If he's destined to rule, his coat has to be stripped away. So we also have to ask, what is that multicolored coat in my life? What is that we are proud of, secretly proud of? Like I said, you can be secretly proud of your humility. (laughs) Remember the joke about that pastor whose church decided to give him for the church anniversary, voted and they gave him a plaque or medal and saying, you are the most humble pastor we ever had. So he received and next Sunday he wore it. (laughs) What are we, what are we, what are we secretly proud of? Our clean habits. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, I never did any of these things. Are we proud about it or we are grateful to God that he protected us from going that way? What are we proud about? That I'm a patient man, I don't lose my temper like that. I'm a loving, kind wife. My children are so obedient. Mercy, mercy Lord, mercy. Mercy, Father. Mercy, Lord. 
I'm such a generous soul. I'm such a hardworking employee. Is there anything wrong with any of these qualities? No. That can be our quote. That can be what we are proud of. Take it off before God allows hands of flesh to strip it off. Because flesh can recognize flesh from far off. Flesh can recognize flesh from far off. From far off. They said, there comes that fellow. And verse 19, 37, 19, what did they say? Look, this dreamer is coming. If they will hate you for your coat, they will hate you for your dreams too. Jesus did not have a coat, but he had a vision. So they hated him for his message. They could not hate him for a coat because he had no coat like Joseph. But they hated him for his message. It's interesting about Jesus if you study him carefully. John chapter 7 and verse 11. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? He was not like today's modern day prosperity preacher. You could never recognize him in the crowd. He was just a simple, ordinary preacher. You could never recognize him in the crowd. Just dressed like any one of them. could never recognize him. John chapter 5, 6 and 7. Just three examples I'll give you. John chapter 5, 6. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. He said, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm coming, another steps down before me. He didn't know who it was. He had no clue. Jesus comes every festival, the whole town is talking about it. But when he actually comes and meets an individual, they don't know who he is. Okay, so he says, pick up your mat and walk and everything. And he goes. And on the way, the Pharisees stop him. Look at verse 10 to 13. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, and he who made me well said to me, take your bed and walk. He doesn't know his name. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? The one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. He did not know. He refused to make himself known. He was not identified by his dress. Chapter 18, verses 3 to 5. End of his ministry. And Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward, said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. You know why they needed Judas? They needed Judas to identify him. That's why. And he had told them, The one I go kiss is Jesus. Don't pick the others. The one whom I kiss. 
Did you look at Jesus? He had no multicolored coat. He's exactly such a simple man. He could not be recognized from that crowd, from the beginning till the end. Till the end. Absolutely no flesh at all. In any area in his life, there was no flesh at all. 37.20 Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. The hatred of flesh towards the spirit. All pictures from Joseph's life. Let I mean, these are brothers. But the hatred of flesh towards the spirit God says, through the life of Jesus, be prepared. Mark chapter 13, 12 and 13. There's a whole list of things in the last day signs Jesus gives. Wars and famines and pestilences and includes pandemic. That's not what will hurt you the most. What will hurt you most is this. Brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child and the children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. This is the most painful thing the spirit will have to go through in the last days. God says be prepared for it. That's why he says if any man loves his father, mother, wife, children more than me, you will not endure. You will not make it. You will give up. And Joseph had to go through it all. As a picture for us. Clear picture. Jesus, of course. But before that, there's a prophetic picture in Joseph's lives. His brothers hated him so much. And you will be hated by all for my name's sakes. But he who endures to the end. Do you know you have to endure till the end? The words, you have to endure this hatred and still love them. Endure this hatred. The hatred of the flesh towards the spirit. And God says, nowhere else will you face this. God says, will you endure? Enduring, enduring war, famine, pestilence, all are difficult. But you can still endure them. The hatred of your own flesh and blood. And still come out on the other end, purer, loving, more kind, more compassionate, more merciful, then God says you're qualified to reign. Then you're qualified to reign. You have the character of my son. Like I said, and on that entire list, this is the most painful. This is what will ultimately define who you are and who you become in eternity. That's why Ramba, he said, some of them, some have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God. They will not let themselves be hurt. Verse 21, 22. That is 37, okay? Genesis 37. Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Now listen to me carefully. All my dear ones who are listening. 
will always look down upon Reuben. One of the things you have to learn from scripture, from people who have fallen, like Reuben, morally fallen, maybe weaker than others in so many areas, but because they fell, they have a greater empathy for others, which the others do not have. Others do not have. That's where Reuben will try to save Joseph. Simeon and Levi won't. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, 9 onwards, if you read, another fallen man. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog hurt my God, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. He's talking about Shammai. David said to Abishai and all his servants, See, how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more now may this Benjamin leave him alone? Let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. Yeah. It may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction, that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimmai went along the hillside opposite him, cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Okay. Let me ask you, would David have become David if he hadn't failed in his life? No. See, we all have failed. The whole earth is full of failed people. But the question is, have your failings made you more compassionate? And the Reubenites are very compassionate. That's the difference between Moses and Joshua. You will never see Joshua on his face before God crying over the failings of somebody else. He will cry once over the defeat, but not over the failings of. And when it comes to Akan, his order to Akan is destroy him and destroy his household. You will never see him like Moses weeping over the sins of others. Because Moses had failed once terribly. Paul had failed terribly. All the apostles, God allowed them to fail completely, then rose him up so they will go back and be compassionate. I have to remember, you look at, I'm giving you a preview of future messages. If you look at entire 10 brothers of Joseph and the record from 37 onwards, till they are restored and all, there are only two people who will so show empathy. One is Reuben, one is Judah. And both had failed morally. Both had failed. Both had failed. They both had fallen. And they show the sympathy. And you will not hear any of the others speak anything. There are certain things which will God will allow to fail. With murder or whatever it is, whatever, all these failings of the flesh will allow you to fail, fall into that ditch. But when you come out of the ditch, you will be compassionate. I'm not saying the ditch makes you compassionate, but you, you can arise of it more compassionate than others. Because God uses evil also for good. If you go to Hebrews 4 and verse 16, 16. 
If you go to verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in that. It's a wonderful verse, right? How does he say you can come? Boldly. Why? Verse 15. Why can we go boldly? There's only one reason we can go boldly. Reason? Verse 15. Because for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses because in all points he was tempted as we. He did not sin. That's a different thing. But he knows what it is. Temptation. So he sympathizes with all who fall because he knows what he went through. Sympathizes. So he says, therefore you can come boldly. We can come boldly. The Aaronic priesthood never understood the failings of people. They stood in their big robes, they took it, and when they went for atonement also, they were more worried about them not dying than the people not dying. They never understood the failings of the people. But Jesus says, I understand it all. Absolutely I understand. And I really, really sympathize with you. So you can come boldly. You can come boldly to me. Come boldly to me. You have to understand these facts. Because all the twelve apostles, I'm including Paul also, they were all failed men. They all failed. And they failed of all things Jesus at his hour of need. They failed terribly. That's the difference. That's what we need to learn through it all. You look at Reuben, and you can always see Reuben. He's lost that strength to stand as an elder brother and says, No! So they don't respect him anymore. But his empathy hasn't gone. Empathy hasn't. He's, he's more sympathetic now. And he's still trying to protect that younger brother. You'll always see that through Bible as you go. Let me ask you. Do you see the difference between David and Solomon? David will show mercy even to his worst enemy. Solomon will execute his own sons on his own brothers. There's no mercy with Solomon. No mercy with Solomon. But David, unbelievable mercy. He will weep over his enemies. He'll break his heart over his sons. Over his sons. You, even to that useless fellow called Absalom, who's all flesh and no spirit at all, he still says, I wish I had died in your place, and not you, my son. You know why he comes to that point of empathy? It's because he knows he has failed. And out of that arises a mercy for others who are weak. And we have a high priest who sympathizes with us in all our weaknesses. Because he has gone through all. It's not unknown to him. He's been tempted in all. He's been tempted to betray his father. He was tempted to let go of his disciples. He was tempted at all points in all these areas. He did not sin, but he knows what it is. So he sympathizes with us. That is from where our boldness comes. So we have to be always careful every day in our dealings with God and with man and say, Lord, make me, make me, change me in the image of our heavenly Jesus and the earthly Joseph. Because Joseph will go through all this and come out a very compassionate, he will show a harsh face and all outside. But his heart is pure gold. Loving, kind, compassionate, merciful person. He will never twist the righteousness of God, but you know. And that was the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. They held the same book. But the sinners flocked around him. 
flocked around him. If you go to verse 23 and 24. Twenty-three and twenty-four. They stripped him. It came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, and they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. For the first time, Joseph is actually experiencing the extent of their hatred. And even Jesus only at the end experiences the extent of their hatred towards him. When they stripped him and beat him and put him on the cross. Joseph is actually experiencing. Now you never really think they hate you so much unless it, until it happens to you. The venom, the venom that comes out. Venom. No, that's what always has shocked me. The venom that has come out. Today, of course, they strip you literally in public with group emails and all. Absolute junk. The venom that comes out, the hatred that comes out. Why do you, why would you even want to do something like that? You know? Think about it, no? See, I always used to, when I sit with and talk to Pastor Vijay, I always used to tell them, what shocks me, it's not so much, I'm not so much hurt by the stuff people have done. I'm shocked by the, the depth of their hatred. Hatred. Is that the people we were feeding all these years? Preaching to them all these years? And all these things were hidden? This thing came out? This also must have been thinking. This also must have fed all of them. I blessed all of them. Look at the depth of their hatred. Even when he's agonizing on the, on the cross, they're cursing him. This is what you need to understand the nature of the flesh. The flesh is inhabited by the demonic realm itself, if you don't cut it. And you let it loose, it will come out with everything. And that's what you see. And these are the serious issues to realize that in me, like Paul said, there is nothing good. I can go the same route if it wasn't for the mercy of God. Mercy of God. If it was one of the mercy of God, I would have been the same thing. And that's what. And the, the, and the whole thing is that if you read the narrative and you can, you can dramatize it very clearly, this poor boy has walked all the way. He's probably brought all the food that was cooked by their mothers. They have thrown him into the pit and he's crying from there. And they're quietly sitting there and eating the food which they have brought. He has brought. Coolly. No remorse. Nothing at all. Heart absolutely, absolutely hardened. He is dying over there. The Roman soldiers are sitting there and throwing dice about for his clothes. And we have to be very, very careful about these things. That's what I said, don't let this season pass. This season is to reflect. Really, really, really deflect. Because God has put us into a pit. Lockdown is a pit. A pit can be a place assigned for us by God to get rid of our flesh. Dreams are true. Vision is true. But if we'll ever fulfill that vision, it matters what happens to us in the
pit. The question is in the pit. Do you thirst for God? Psalm 63 verse 1. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. We know from later years, 22 years later, this boy cried out from that pit. And after some point, he stopped crying. I believe he turned to God. He started crying to God. So everybody is in a lockdown. People are all getting mad and frustrated and counseling lines and all. Why don't you turn to God? Will we use this opportunity and time to turn to God? Cry out to God? The Bible always talks about these things. Psalm 34, 6 and 42. Yeah. 34, 6. This poor man cried out. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And 42. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before the God? You have to look at all these things and say, you know what, I'm in a pit. I'm in a pit. But what am I really thirsty for? What am I really thirsty for? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, you have to take all this as true biblical promises from heaven. No temptation has overcome any temptation, trial, testing, except as that's common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. He says, I'll keep one door open. You cry out to man, you will not see that door. You cry out to me, you will see that door. If we have to see our doorway to come out of the pit into the light, we have to cry out to God and not to man. And I believe Joseph started crying out to God because in verse 25, 37, 25, you will see God will open a way. And they sat down to eat a meal. And then they lifted their eyes and looked. And there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, myrrh, on the way to carry them to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What's the prophet if there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Did you see that? God opened away. God opened it. God is opening it. A bunch of traders are coming, loaded with stuff, going to Egypt. And Judah intervenes. And he speaks. And God is dropping a lifeline for Joseph to come out of the pit. Verse 28 is interesting. The Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. No, no, 28, 28. Look at that carefully. Midianites, Ishmaelites and Israelites, all the sons of Abraham are sons of Belial without grace. All three are of the same father. Israelites, Midianites, Ishmaelites, they are all sons of Abraham. They're all sons of Abraham. All are sons of Belial who will sell their brother for money. 
if it was not for the mercy and grace of God. All sons of Abraham. What are they doing? And what are the camels full of? Myrrh, cinnamon, honey, everything. Go to Revelation 19 and verse 13. You will see a picture of Babylon there and here. Yeah, one verse alone we will read. Verse 13, 19, 13. Oh, 18, 18, 18, Cinnamon and incense, frankincense, oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horse, chariots and bodies and souls of men. So it was nothing new. Babylon was existing in Canaan also then. The old brothers, the camel is full of these goods going to Egypt along with the souls and the bodies of men. Slave trade has been there from those days. This boy is also sold. This is on which Babylon is built. What was going in the minds of the brothers? First Timothy 4.2 Never, never come to that point in life. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own consciences seared with a hot iron. Is there, brother? Pulled him out, he was crying, hands are tied now behind the back, big rope, and he is being taken as a slave, trudging, trudging. Did he look back? Did he look back at his brothers? Did he cry for mercy? Did he try? No? And what are they all standing there and talking about? Yeah, he deserved it. Nobody's heart was moved. Nobody's heart is moved. Nobody is touched. God says that's what can, can happen. Your own consciences can be seared with a hot iron where you feel no more the pain of others. And you too become part of that slave trade. That's what God is judging this whole world as judgment. You are all part of the biggest slave trade of the 21st century called China. China is the world's biggest slave trader. Their entire economy is built on the bodies and the souls of men. And all you nations knew it. Knew it. That's why it came from there. It has spread everywhere. Everybody is shut down. Because there is a God in heaven. Will the world change after this? No. Everybody will hold their noses and go back to China for money. World won't change. So the next judgment will be worse. We should never come to this point in life. Never, ever come to this point in life. Anybody can come to this point in life. We know the story of David and Uriah. We can come to that point. It is one thing to be sensitive to sin. It is another thing to be sensitive to the sinner. These two are not the same. Please listen to me, dear ones, carefully. It is one thing to be sensitive to be sins. You are so zealous and you are cutting, dealing with sin with an iron hand. But that can also make you like the Pharisee where he was totally insensitive to the sinner. You have to have both in life. Incredibly sensitive conscience to the sin when the Holy Spirit shows you an incredibly compassionate to the sinner. Yet you are not partaking of their sin. 
Look at Isaiah 42 and verse 3. This is a picture God wants us to be. Isaiah. Got it? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. Yet he will bring forth justice for truth. He will not change truth. He will not pervert justice. But the way he deals with sinners, with humanity, you can be very sure. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not put it off. That's the Savior who will go and sit down, hot, tired by the well, waiting for that sinner woman to come. He looks at her and he knows she won't come. So he sends all his disciples, all of you go to the town and get some food and come. And sits alone knowing that if there is a company, this lady won't come. And I've come all this way. My father has sent me for this lady. Sends all of them, 12 of them going to buy food. And one man sitting over there so that she can approach him. And the entire conversation is about her. And by the time he's finished, he's excited, he's forgotten his hunger. As he says, this is the will of God for me, food for me to bring. A woman is caught in adultery, she's dragged, she's thrown before him. Scripture says he will not even look up. That even with his glance, he will respect the autonomy of her body. He won't look up. And they compel him to make a judgment. And he said, okay, anyone without sin can throw a stone. Everybody looks. Then he looks up and says, nobody? He says, okay, can go. Don't sin again. She was a smoking flax. Mary Magdalene was that. Seven, de- seven demons. Demon persons, women, you have to see. If you have seen them, you know they have been used by many men. Because they are demon persist. Demon persist and used by many men. No wonder she was sitting at his feet in her right mind. Nobody has ever shown me kindness like this man. You see, the first thing, if you go to Romans 13, when it defines about love, Scripture says, love is patient, long-suffering, and it is kind. Yeah? First Corinthians chapter 13. The first thing it talks about love. Go further down, 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 six if I'm right, six or eight or something. Let it come down. Love suffers long and is kind. Suffers long. God loves sinners. So he suffers sin long. For him sin is suffering. Because he is holy. He suffers sin long, and yet he's kind to sinners. We don't know what suffering of sin is. <laughs> You're born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and then God saved. But for him, this is Jesus. And this is what he's making, Joseph. It's ten o'clock. And as I close, I want to add something here. Go to 37, 29, and 30. Strange thing is there. Very strange thing there. Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. So when he was sold, Reuben wasn't there. He had gone somewhere. When he came back, Joseph is not there. He returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? And verse 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, dipped the tunic in the blood, 
is left open-ended. Did they ever tell Reuben the truth? We don't know. We don't know. What, did, what story did they tell Reuben? We don't know. He ran away. We were eating. He somehow got... We don't know what was the story that was told to Reuben. We don't know. It's left open-ended. He was not there. What they told him, we don't know. 22 years later, when he actually hears, oh, this is Joseph, and you guys really sold him, I don't know. But the Bible is very quiet. He doesn't even react at any point of time, meaning he also at the end of the day has become a merciful man who forgives his brothers for what they have done to their brother. He also extends mercy to his brothers for doing something when he was not there. So at the end of the day, you will see all of them become. Understand what righteousness is, what truth is, but they all become merciful, compassionate people. That's what God is talking about. I can't stop like that, no? One more words I need to give you. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. Everybody knows this verse. Even if people have never heard the book of Jeremiah, they know this verse. <laughs> Even if they have never read Jeremiah 29, book of, they know this verse. Let's, can we have 11 and 12? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Right? Future and a hope. The whole book of Jeremiah is a depressing book. Depressing book. Judgment is already set. And this poor prophet has to go cry, get beaten up, go cry, beaten up, go cry, beaten up, go cry. And he's got no hope himself because he's not allowed to marry, he's not allowed to enjoy, yet he's not allowed to change his message. It is shut like fire in his bones. It's the most discouraging, depressing book, dark book in the Bible. In the middle of it is one of the most well-known passages. Verse 11. Most well-known passage. In the middle of it, you know what God is telling Israel? The thoughts that I have for you, I have for you, are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And light, right, right, lying there in that dark pit and thinking all my dreams have gone, everything has gone, I am finished, I'll never see my father again, and all these thoughts are going on. God still had the same plan for him. And that is the thoughts that I have towards you. Our thoughts of peace and not evil. Of good, a future and a hope. And he's shut the whole world into a pit. And he's still telling his children, you know what, the thoughts I have when you are thinking, because people are not worried about the epidemic. See, it's it's not like, see, we are all cool. We are, we are practically almost totally untouched by the epidemic. But once this is over, those who actually have all lost their jobs, and neck high in debt, like in US and Western countries where they live, everything is on credit. The other ones who are worrying their heads of how will we come out of this bigger pit that is waiting for us after this. 
millions of people have lost their jobs in india shut down business everything you know the whole world is built on credit that's how the enemy has planned babylon food holding how will you come out of this and god says i have you know he said why i created this whole thing for my children that i will shut you all in that pit and then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and i will listen to you 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 god will never stop listening to his children he said through it all the whole purpose is you to come back to me you will listen to me and that's what is going to happen to joseph god will listen to you one door is kept open he has no clue he's been dragged behind the camels to egypt but he does not know he's on the road to reign before he can reign he has to be made into a man who can reign and that's what god is trying to do with all of us God will say, Lord, when will this lockdown be over? God says, when you are ready, how long you want to be in that, it's your choice. The government can only lock you down from outside, but you have locked me out from inside. He says, the problem is not the lockdown outside. You look back and really look back the 2020, all these days. Did you really lock yourself with me? No, you locked me out. Look at COVID. 2019 didn't you really lock me out in 19 now i am asking you lock yourself with me and you have nothing to fear nothing to fear I, i my plans are always good for my children my thoughts are always thoughts of peace will you lock yourself with me that's the opportunity god is giving all of us and the time we are spending listening to the word shut with our families he says will you come back to me whole world church come back to me and he will take his hand off and things can actually get better because the time of his coming we don't know how do we know next year or 20 years from now we nobody knows nobody knows nobody can prophesy anybody prophesies jesus is coming next year then he is a false prophet nobody knows all we can do is look at the signs and say yes his coming is getting closer but his plan he doesn't change So at the end of the day we come back to him and we say lord speak to me lord restore me lord restore me to yourself first make me a man like joseph at the end of the road how will i emerge i should emerge like him like jesus let's pray father we just come to you we just thank you father through it all you are teaching us you are teaching us and i pray we forget none of these lessons once we are out of this pit called lockdown we should not have forgotten the lessons of lockdown you are dealing with us our inner man inward man how we deal with sin and the outward man how we deal with sinners you are dealing with both how we love god the inward man and how we love our neighbor the outward man And I pray father we will come out of this the way you you want us to be lord you want us to be teach us lord empower us lord
do that work in us and through us, Lord, that in all things Christ Jesus may have preeminence. That was the word on which his church was built. And I pray it will come true for everyone in GDC worldwide that Christ Jesus will have preeminence in all things that we are and what we do. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen. Amen.